0: Christ is risen, but Thomas hasn't seen him yet. Today is his day, a week after Easter, as we turn to the only gospel story set a week after the resurrection. It's almost like the resurrection hasn't happened just yet, for while the rest of the disciples have seen their griefs and confusion melt away in the presence of the risen Christ, Thomas is still waiting. He has heard their stories, but is still honest enough to put his own doubts on display. And ever since, he has been remembered as Doubting Thomas. After spending Lent reading through the Gospel of Mark, we'll be turning to stories about encounters with the risen Christ over the next few weeks as we follow the Lectionary, a three-year calendar of weekly Scripture readings that tries to cover as much of the Bible as it can, and yet faithfully gives way to the story of Thomas every year on this day. Because today, Is a day for Thomas and for his doubt and for everyone who might not be named Thomas but could take his nickname just the same. Today is a day for the left behind and the left out, the not quite sure yet, the still waiting to see, the doubting but still hopeful, and for all those still holding on because it just might be their turn to see Jesus next. And isn't that most of us at some time or another, if not today? Friends, let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, gathered together in spirit, though separated by distance, be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. When I was in seminary, I worked part-time at a local church as the director of children's ministries, which meant that at least once a week on any given week, you could find me working with a group of children and no doubt reminding them once again that they look with their eyes and not with their hands. Restraining The hands of small children was never a small request because somewhere in the room was bound to be a pile of supplies for an exciting craft, or science experiment, or interactive activity of some sort that was absolutely designed to entice their curious minds. And so whether it was marshmallows, or balloons, or glue sticks, or egg cartons, or pool noodles, or anything else sitting out and waiting to be used, it was sure to look exciting to some small child, and the first thing they would absolutely want to do was to pick it up and try it out, even before they knew what it was actually intended for. And so it was my job to hold the kids off long enough to give some instruction and usually demonstrate the activity in some way, which meant that I regularly had to channel my best inner elementary school teacher and say to the group, remember, we look with our eyes, not with our hands. And their little hands would slowly be drawn back, and my group of naturally inquisitive children would do their very best to wait until the moment that they could dive in for themselves. And I could never much fault their impatience. They weren't satisfied with listening to me talk about the activity or even watching me demonstrate it, and why would they? They wanted to experience it for themselves. Don't we all? It's what Thomas wanted. In our gospel story this morning, Thomas is found by the other disciples who have all just had an experience with the risen Christ without him. And they're overjoyed as they tell him all of what he just missed out on. But Thomas isn't satisfied with listening to them talk about the resurrection or seeing them live in the resurrection joy. He needs to experience it for himself. Thomas is often painted as obstinate or obtuse in this moment And yet His audacity creates a vital space where we can all yearn with Him for a chance to see Jesus. It's good to hear the story, but we want a story of our own. It's good to hear the news, but we'd like to witness it in our own life. To hold on to the resurrection as real, it needs to become real for us and in us. With the jubilant hymn still echoing in our ears, Thomas reminds us that the week after Easter has always been difficult and messy. There is an open invitation here to bring our doubts and our desires, to admit to being hopeful and cautious and even envious of those who don't have to wait so long on resurrection to arrive and for whom Easter seems easy. See, not everyone gets the radical encounter with Jesus on the first day. And it's okay not to hold on to their story as if it's our own. There's a place here to wait to experience it for ourselves. This is, after all, the very same timeline that all of the disciples followed. No one believed the resurrection until it showed up in front of them. John tells us that Mary and others went to the tomb that Easter morning and saw that it was empty, but this only compounded Mary's concern. It wasn't until Jesus met her there in the garden that she believed. She ran to tell the other disciples, maybe even Thomas with them, but this failed to convince them. It wasn't until Jesus showed up where they were hiding that they believed, and then they ran to tell Thomas. As Mary said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, the disciples also said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas wouldn't be happy until he could say the same thing. And so he says to them with no small amount of dramatic flair, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I absolutely will not believe. He is adamant in his doubt, adopting not just a wait-and-see attitude, but bravely proclaiming exactly the conditions he thinks he needs in order to believe. If he sounds skeptical, I imagine it's because he is. Thomas doesn't seem altogether convinced that Jesus is coming back around again if he even showed up the first time. And yet, he stays put. Amid all his doubts, there is enough faith to keep him from walking out of the room and writing off the remaining disciples as temporarily insane. He has difficult conditions, but he holds on to them. More hopeful than he honestly believes, he has reason to be. Thomas stays, and he gets exactly what he asked for, and then some. Jesus appears among them in the room just as real and present as Peter and James, and, but with open sores in his hands and a gash in his side, and he says to Thomas, "'Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief.'" Believe." There's some contention about how to understand Jesus' last line here, which is often heard as a critique, as though Thomas had no belief before this point, and it took the physical arrival of the Almighty to bring him to his senses. Do not doubt, but believe, Jesus says. But didn't Thomas have belief? Why else would he have stayed and hoped and demanded? Why else would he have waited until he could finally cry out, my Lord and my God, at the face of his Savior? Doubt may no more be the opposite of faith than grief is the opposite of love. The surest sign of love, persisting in even the darkest times, is grief. And the surest sign of belief may, in fact, be doubt. We hold doubts because believing is hard, but we're not ready to let go because of what might yet come, because of who might still appear. If Thomas had belief, there's a different way to understand the murky grammar of Jesus' line. Instead of a command not to continue to be without faith, Jesus implores Thomas and many not to become without faith. Do not let the difficult waiting keep you away from the resurrection that will surely come. Do not settle for the faith of others when you can claim the story for yourself. Thomas had belief before. And stronger belief now had come to a fuller faith because he kept his eyes open and his hand ready for the impossible. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe, Jesus continues, which can sound rather like a consolation prize for those who had the misfortune of being born any time after the time of Christ. As Frederick Buchner wrote, It's hard to imagine that there's a believer anywhere who wouldn't have traded places with Thomas, given the chance, and seen that face and heard that voice and touched those ruined hands. But Jesus' blessing may not be just for those who were born after Jesus had already ascended. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe, Jesus says, to one whose belief endured through a week without sight and in a crowd of those who had seen Jesus. We don't need to trade places with Thomas for an encounter with the risen and wounded Christ, but it might not come the first day we're looking for it. Blessed are those who believe when they can't see, who believe until they can see. Friends, we've been through a lot this past year, and the Easter joy we've experienced last week might be short-lived if we found it at all. We have felt the sickness of COVID-19. We've been burdened by physical and social isolation. We've grimaced to see the continuing effects of racial injustice and racism. We've grieved at the ongoing impact of gun violence, and we continue to be shaken about by political strife. There is so much in our world and in our lives crying out for the touch of resurrection, for the restoration of redemption. Yet in the, way, in the week after, the pain still remains. It cuts at the heart and wounds the soul. It is enough to shake our faith and destabilize our belief, but Jesus offers a blessing to those who believe even when they do not see resurrection before them. Thomas waited that long week until he saw Jesus' body complete with wounds as a testimony that only the wounded can be resurrected. And we are wounded. This is written so that we might believe, John says, written so we can hang on to the words while we're waiting for the reality, for the resurrection of the wounded. That we can believe when we cannot see until we can see, until resurrection appears anew in front of and around us and in us. Blessed are those who believe when they do not see, Jesus says. Keep an eye out and a hand ready. Resurrection will come. It's a long week, but resurrection will come. Blessed are those who believe. Thanks be to God. Amen.